Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am a vice president at Autism Spectrum Therapies, an awesome agency. I feel particularly proud to be a part of today uh, that provides uh, services to individuals with autism across the country. Um, I personally am an ABA guy. I'm a board-certified behavior analyst for getting pretty close to 13 years now. I get to, I get to bump that number up pretty soon, which is, which is pretty exciting. Um, and I'm actually coming to you live today from uh, uh, New Orleans. I'm, I'm in New Orleans in the show. And you probably can't hear it too well, but I have an amazing marching band just playing outside my window, practicing for the Mardi Gras parade that's coming up here. The city definitely has a little bit of an extra buzz, um, which, which is kind of cool. It's kind of cool to be visiting um, and, uh, again, participate a little bit. Um, I don't know if I'm quite ready since I've never attended it myself but it is very cool to kind of see this buzz here as people get excited. It reminds me a little bit about um, in California when you're uh, at the, around New Year's and everyone starts to get excited in the Pasadena area and all the different college students and, and different uh, organizations are preparing. It's, it's a very cool thing to, to get to witness and see. Uh, a, a very, very busy, very um, long day but, uh, but a really, really good one. It's a day where I'm just really, really proud of what I do, who I work with. Spent a day here with our team in New Orleans, and we just really took a lot of time focusing in on probably, I'd say, about a dozen programs of actual clients and really got into just an intensive core, you know, a breakdown of what's at the core of these programs working on. What do we need to accomplish? How do we get this kid to the goals? And, you know, one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about today was replacement behaviors. We wanted to focus in on kids didn't decrease to the extent we had wanted them to. And we went back and we really looked at analyzing the behaviors of concern, and what proportion behaviors we were teaching. And for a number of the kids who we've been working with for a, a slightly longer period of time, we noticed that um, we didn't truly have a function. You know, you guys have heard me talk a lot about functions of behavior and the function of behaviors and how important that is to your ABA intervention. Well, in this case, they were going off of functions as identified in the first assessment we did. Well, a year's gone by, and things have changed, and things have happened, and we started to hypothesize that maybe there was a little bit of a shift. Maybe something happened, and the function may have changed. 
And what we did, didn't do a full-blown assessment, but we did uh, a component of it. We did some ABC data collection. That stands for antecedent behavior and consequence uh, data analysis. Took some data, and we realized that we were starting to see a shift. The functions of the behavior had changed. So, of course, the replacement behaviors we were teaching didn't work. So when we made this switch and we took this data, we could identify, up. Oh, you know, we've been teaching this kid to ask for a break, but it turns out he's starting to engage in this behavior for attention. So now we're shifting our intervention to match attention. And we found that actually happened um, with two different um, situations, two different cases. And then we, on the other ones, we just looked at, you know, it's the right function, but we started to think a lot about effort, the response effort. Is this a brand new skill that's really, really hard and can we start making it easier and more attainable and then start shaping it into something a little bit more, um, I guess, a little bit more appropriate, a little bit more complicated, but a little bit more appropriate when we think about the greater society? And that's where we started to go with those programs. And it was just a great opportunity to have the team work together, parents, interventionists, supervisor. And we were able to put all of that together. And I thought it was really important to share with you, our listeners are participating in different types of interventions. I know so many of you out there have ABA services. You're working with different providers. And the question has come up a lot about behaviors over time, maybe not seeing the progress. And we just saw these trends today. So if you're in that boat, these are some of the things I would recommend you guys do. Really can make sure. Have you taken ABC data? Are we clear on function? Did something maybe shift? So the questions you've got to make sure you have. Um, answered or, or conversations you have with uh, any ABA folks that you're working with. Or if you're not, that may be prompt the beginning of uh, uh, an intervention um, or some ABA services. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to the show. Um, so today I am really excited. Um, we're going to be joined today by the president of the California Association for Behavior Analysis. Um, he received his PhD in Behavior Analysis from Western Michigan University and a master's degree from the University of the Pacific. Uh, currently, Dr. Shivani is the president of the California Association for Behavior Analysis and runs a private practice in Southern California of publications on assessment and treatment of behavior problems as well as reviewed trends within the field of behavior analysis. Dan, welcome to the show. Glad um, to be here. So I was really excited. We, um, you know, last year we had, we ended up doing like an impromptu show kind of like during one of the breaks. And I know the CalAlba conference is coming up. As we were doing all of this, that a lot of people probably don't know what CalAlba is. And particularly parents out there probably don't even know um, what it is and, and some of the impact that maybe it could have on the programs, access to services. So I, I'm really excited to have you on the show to maybe talk a little bit about it because you know it's a group I've been a part of for a really long time. Um, I was hoping maybe you could start off telling everyone like a little bit about what CalABA is. To start sure. Off. So uh, CalABA is one of the largest regional professional organizations for behavior analysis. And our mission actually includes to promote both the science and the theory of behavior analysis through supporting research, supporting education and academia, 
and also supporting practitioners. So we are, are very active in those different areas. Um, we're very active in um, advocating for behavior analysis services and really just the profession in gen general, promoting quality assurance in behavior analysis, providing resources for both parents and professionals uh, related to behavior analysis, and really just advancing the field of behavior analysis via a variety of professional development activities. The highlight of Calaba really is the conference every February. Um, we are currently the second largest behavior analytic conference in the world behind the um, international organization, so we've grown significantly. And in fact, this year at our conference, we're, we're expecting uh, the largest group we've ever had. We're expecting close to 1,600 people. So it's a very, very exciting time for Calaba. Wow. You know, do, do a lot of parents come to the conference? Does it tend to be professionals or a specific type of professional? Yeah, I would say probably 90 to 95% of our membership is primarily uh, professionals who work in the mm -hmm. field. For example, board-certified behavior analysts, people who teach in university settings, um, paraprofessionals mm -hmm. who work, who do, who do a lot of direct therapy with a variety of populations. Uh, this year will be the third year that we're actually hosting a parent conference. And the purpose of that parent conference was specifically to reach out to parents and help them understand mm -hmm. uh, that Calaba is also a resource when it comes to behavior analysis in the state of California. And, you know, we're, we're gaining some traction there. It's, it's only right now mm -hmm. a one-day single-track conference that it's on the Sunday, basically at the end of the conference. Um, and we bring mm -hmm. in some pretty good speakers. We, we're, we're lucky enough to have some of the invited speakers from the conference kind of stay an extra day and participate in that. So we, we've done some things to try to reach out to parents more um, and make um, presentations specifically geared towards things parents are interested in. So we're kind of in the third year of that, but the main conference really is more geared towards professionals, I would say, yes. Got it. So I've attended the last few years is, um, and, I, and I'm probably jumping ahead to some of the public policy stuff you guys do that I know I want to talk about is, you know, you guys have, the last few years there's been that, um, the changes in California's insurance laws. Um, there's been that workshop to start each conference, and I've noticed actually a few parents have shown up to that to almost get a better understanding. And I think the workshops, a lot of these workshops have been around a little bit longer, maybe has gone through the regional center system or the school system. Um, they, they seem to get a good amount out of it, and I, I noticed from a number of parents that they said that those workshops in particular were really helpful. That, that's very encouraging to hear. Yeah, when, when we, um, you know, when, when the insurance law originally came to California, we had a lot of interest in people better understanding how, how that insurance mandate would affect their services, and we sold out those workshops pretty quickly. And, in fact, that's yeah. one of the reasons why we launched CalAHIP, which is kind of a, a sister um, organization that's specifically devoted to helping professionals essentially navigate the field of working with health plans so just for mm -hmm. example, in this year before the conference, the Thursday before the conference, we actually have um, a workshop on the Affordable Care Act. We have another workshop um, on HIPAA and compliance with HIPAA. Mm -hmm. And then we actually have a panel on, um, you know, the ethics associated with working with health plans. And then another health plan where we have a couple medical directors coming to talk to us essentially about their perspective on what it's been like to work with 
folks in the field, um, you know, in the rollout of this insurance mandate. Sure. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting. I, I, I know a couple of the medical directors on, the, on that panel, and uh, mm-hmm. an interesting audience for them. It's like they're on the other side of the table as we're trying to submit authorizations and requests, and it, it could be a I, – I wouldn't be surprised if that's a little bit of an intimidating thing for them to walk into. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they're doing it, but I think it's really important for providers yeah. to, to understand, you know, what – health plans are dealing with. I think from yeah. their perspective, overall, I think they've done an okay job, but, you know, they've, mm-hmm. they've, it's taken some time for them to really understand what this behavior analysis is and the whole idea of, a, you know, an unlicensed, uncredentialed person going into the home and delivering treatment. That's just a very new model. So I think they've done, mm-hmm. I think they've done better than expected, really, in helping to try to navigate that. So these things are important because we need to hear directly from them the things that we're doing right and the things that we're doing wrong and hopefully improve the interaction that providers are having with health plans. You know, and I, I was hoping maybe you could take a, a couple minutes or kind of put maybe undo uh, no, acknowledgement just on you, but like, I, I was at events with you where you were really out there trying to raise awareness with the different healthcare plans. And, and I personally thought, you know, this is something that I know Calaba got on board with early before the mandate. I know you personally also got really on board with this, this mission, this vision of what was coming. And I've always thought you've done a great job. And I, and I was hoping maybe you could share a little bit about, you know, some of the things Calaba did early on um, to kind of help get things going. Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners aren't aware of the whole process. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the main things we did was about six to eight months before um, SB 946 or the insurance mandate went into effect, I actually remember you came to one of our meetings in, I think it was in Santa Monica or West L.A. where we had a meeting. Mm-hmm. And one of the things yep. we tried to do at those meetings, is, as, as you probably remember, is to help people understand kind of what this means for your practice. And there were a lot of essentially a lot of new things happening for people that they that some didn't understand. And one thing about our field, as I'm sure you know, is there's a lot of young people in our field, both as therapists or direct therapists, but also as business owners. And I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but uh, we didn't get too much training, uh, you know, as, as uh, business people. And working with health plans, I think you, you sort of have to have that knowledge. So we really tried to help people yeah. better prepare themselves, prepare their businesses, prepare their employees for what's coming so that they can stick around you know, so that they stay in business because there's a lot of rules and regulations that you have to follow that people weren't as used to. Um, so we, we try to do a lot of that. We try to do a lot of education for people. We try to help with the credentialing process, the negotiation process, um, the ethics related to working with health plans, issues related to confidentiality. Um, so it was a really big push to try to help practitioners just better prepare their their practices for this new uh, funding source that they were all going to be working with. Did you find that there needed to be um, an education? You mentioned a little bit, um, but the education, you know, what is a BCBA? What, what, what is it that these people are doing on the insurance company front to help them understand like who we are? Right. Yeah, we did a lot of that, and I have to give a lot of credit to Jane Howard, who used to be um, part of the board and, has, in fact, has been so active in Cal Lava for so many years. 
has really kind of taken the lead on reaching out to different health plans, sitting down and having conversations with them, helping them better understand, you know, what it is that we do, what that credential means, what ABA therapy looks like. And she was one of the, you know, she was the impetus behind developing those service delivery guidelines that Calaba put out a few years ago for the Department of Developmental Services. And now, as president of the uh, Behavior Analyst Certification Board, Jane Howard is the president of that organization, she was an essential part of the development of the treatment guidelines on how to work with health plans. So those sorts of efforts um, were included, Akala was in, included in those sorts of efforts primarily because we wanted to educate health plans about what it is that we do, what does supervision mean, what's an, in, what's mm-hmm. an indirect supervision, how many hours of therapy, you know, what's the ratio of therapy to supervision? What does the tiered model look like? Um, so a lot of that education um, we've been doing for a while now, and now we're at mm-hmm. a point where we can, have, we can pick up the phone and call a lot of these medical directors, and they're calling us too. Um, they see us as a resource now, a, as a way to help them understand wow. the things that they're dealing with. So I think we've, we've come a long way uh, in terms of, kind of uh, people thinking about Calaba when they have issues related to uh, behavior analysis. I don't think we're there yet, but we're definitely close. Um, And the fact that we have a lot of these medical directors reaching out to us. In fact, I I was up in Oakland a couple weeks ago, and I met with the executive director of behavioral health for Kaiser. Um, But the fact that we can sit down and have conversations with people, um, I think, means a lot for Calaba. You know, is there, uh, I think probably a lot of, this helps a lot of families out there. I know it helps a lot of the professionals we have listening to is you said there's some things that we can still do. There's things we can still improve. You know, what is there like one or two key things that we as a field, um, we as a community can do a better job of educating or promote what it is that we do? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's several things that, that we as a field can do. I think what, one of the things that we as, a, we as a field need to do is to embrace regulation to some degree. I think mm-hmm. if our field is going to grow and expand and, and, and we're going to provide services outside of the field of, outside of just working with individuals with autism and start having health plans look to us to work with, for example, traumatic brain injury as, as one potential population, I think we as a field have to recognize that there needs to be a certain degree of, of regulation and accountability for our services that is part of pretty much every other profession. I mean, look at a pediatrician or you know, look at a dentist, uh, look at a occupational therapist or speech therapist. I mean, they, they have licenses and are regulated by the state, um, and I think that's something that's going to be important for us as a field as we continue to try to grow different areas that, that I think behavior analysts should be practicing in. So I hear regulations, and, and the first thing that comes to my mind is I hear licensure. Mm-hmm. Is, is that where, I mean, is that where you see us really needing to move? Yeah, I do. I think um, we're right now, uh, let me tell you where we are in that process. But let me, let me start off by awesome. saying I think it's going to happen Regulation is going to come to our field. Either we can be involved in that process or somebody will impose it upon us. So I think we have to embrace that idea. I think we have to recognize that that's going to be an important part of um, the growth of our field. And I'd rather it be done by behavior analysts like you and me mm-hmm. versus people who really don't understand our field and, you know, and perhaps don't even practice in our field. 
So that's an important piece to remember because it is going to happen eventually, um, and Calaba has taken a, a, a pretty active role. What we're doing right now is we're in the process of completing what's called a Sunrise application, and a Sunrise application is a pretty lengthy document in which you essentially make the case for licensure within a particular area of practice. So you collect all kinds of data on the number of people practicing, what sorts of services they provide, what sorts of consumer protections are in place. And this application gets submitted in August uh, of 2014, so later this year. And then in September or October, there are a series of hearings in which they review this application to make a determination if uh, licensure truly is needed for that particular profession. Um, So we decided to kind of go that route. Um, see what kind of feedback we get. We feel pretty strongly that there is a need, but legislation in that direction would be more supported if we had the Sunrise uh, application and approval kind of behind it. So you're right. So when I say regulation, essentially what I'm talking about is licensure, and I Mm -hmm. do feel that in California, I should say the board does feel that in California that's going to be an important uh, piece of legislation that we'd like to be involved with. Mm-hmm. And the board has kind of the board has also formally adopted the position that any licensure law in the state of California, as, at its foundation, will have the BCBA uh, credential, will be based on the BCBA credential. Got it. You know, I, one of the reasons why I was actually really excited to have this licensure conversation is, um, is because of something I, I know probably about a year ago, I started to tell you a little bit about, um, and it's, it's very coincidental and, and, and funny, I'm, I'm talking to you from New Orleans right now, um, mm. but I think what people sometimes lose sight of, and I got to see really firsthand here is, you know, the, the Louisiana um, ABA community is, is much smaller than what you and I are used to, and it was actually that what they did is they really educated parents as to why a licensure act was important, but what like the things you're talking about where the BCBA is at the core of it and some of these different components, it w- the parents made up a much greater part of the, co- of the different representatives in Baton Rouge's constituencies than the behavior analysts did. So they ended up having a much more powerful, most, a much uh, stronger voice in getting a, a law passed that really worked for families, worked for kids, worked for the BCBAs out there. Um, it, w- it ended up being a better law because they got involved. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it, 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 very, it struck me as very interesting how those voices on an issue that we don't typically think of as parent-focused um, really had a big impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, you know, there's, there's groups, parent advocacy groups in the state of California that, that have been part of this process as well that That's we've great. attempted to reach out to and make a part of this process because I, we agree. I mean, I agree with you that parents need to be part of this. We need their input. There's one thing that, that we, have to be, we have to consider. Mm-hmm. When we license a field, we license a field in order to establish minimum standards for competency in that field. Licensure is not related to increasing access to a certain service. So I think there's been some confusion about what Mm -hmm. licensure means and what it means to regulate a field without limiting access. Now, 
I recognize, or I should say the board recognizes, that there is an access issue in the state of California, that there are families who are on waiting lists and not getting the services that they should get. However, licensure isn't a solution to that problem. There is another way to try to solve that problem. I'm not saying I have the answer to that problem, but it's not through licensure. So I think where the conversation gets a little bit muddled is where you get into talking about regulating a field, and mm-hmm. that regulation will somehow limit who can practice it. And by limiting it who can practice it, now you're also cutting off access. Well, but those two issues are, are not related to one another. So I think that's where there's been some disagreement about how to go after mm-hmm. licensure. And, and as a board, we, we recognize access is a problem, but we also feel that access is not going to be solved through licensure because, quite frankly, the answer to licensure is not to let everybody in, but that's not the way licensure works. There is a minimum yeah. standard by which you have to practice, and that's what we're trying to establish in our field. Access is a completely separate issue that needs to be addressed but independent of licensure. So that's kind of one of the issues in California that we're dealing with. And we spend a lot of time talking to parent advocacy groups and you know, trying to get on the same page with them, but, but again, the perspective is, is a little bit different. When one person is looking at through really kind of a, an access issue, as an access issue, mm-hmm. where we as a board are looking at it more as how do we develop the minimum standards of competency in behavior analysis. Wow. Well, I think that's a really good point for us to maybe pause, reflect on, take a quick break. Um, so let's take a break, and we'll come back with, uh, with Dr. Dana Shivani. Be right back, everybody. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. At AST, we recognize that every child is unique. We are proud to offer what we believe is the most cohesive approach to supporting your child's needs and goals at each stage. From ABA to speech therapy, occupational therapy, and social skills, we have the elements you need to build the plan that is just right for you. One company, one team, with one mission. To support individuals and their families to dream and achieve their full potential. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-727-8274. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host or today's guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, joined today by Dr. Daniel Shivani, um, president of CalABA, a group I've been a part of for now about 11 years. Uh, we're talking about a, a variety of different things that CalABA is involved with. Um, you know, we just, I, I really found the, you know, for me personally, the licensure conversation is, is fascinating. It's something that I'm, I'm really, uh, I agree with you. I think it's really important and, and I've, I've heard you talk about it in a, a few different times, which is, which is, I know, help shape some of my opinions. Um, 
but I know there's a lot of public policy stuff um, at that Cal Alba does at the conference. Um, so is this the type of stuff people can anticipate getting from the conference um, coming up, or um, are there other things that are going to be focused on as well? So yes, at the conference specifically, we, we're going to have a panel uh, discussing the current state of licensure. Um, Jim Carr, the CEO of the BACB, is going to be on this panel. Uh, Gina Green, um, who's the executive director of the, of the Association for Professional Behavior Analysts, is going to be on this uh, um, panel. So people mm -hmm. will get a, a really nice understanding of the national picture in terms mm -hmm. of licensure, what's been going on in other states, in states where they have licensure, what the, what the rollout has been like. Um, so I think that will be a really informative people for folks who are interested in um, better understanding licensure. And, and then we're going to spend some time obviously talking about what's, what's happening in California as well. Um, we're, we also have, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the ethical practices for working with um, health plans. I think that's going to be a useful, that's a part of the public policy track as well that I think providers mm -hmm. will find very useful. And then the prospectus from health plans is another one, and that's what the medical directors and uh, what we also do um, that I'd like uh, people to know about is the fundraiser. Um, as you know, Calaba is a volunteer organization, um, and, but we're very active in public policy. That, that sort of work is, uh, is extremely costly. Um, so we do kind of rely on uh, the fundraiser that we do every year to help support a lot of the public policy activities um, throughout the year. Uh, that being said, that the fundraiser, in fact, when people come to the fundraiser, they can choose what they want to donate to. If they want to donate to public policy, if they want to donate to the general fund, it, it, it's up to them. But, but either way, a lot of the activities that Calaba engages in over the year are costly. Um, so the fundraiser is a, is a big part of that, um, helping us get through the year. And then um, on Friday night, uh, we're doing our second annual dance party, which is also um, – another part of the fundraiser. We had a really good reaction to that last year. I think people liked the fact that they didn't have to leave the conference to have some fun. Uh, they mm -hmm. can stay, and, and people kind of had a good time. So, so we're doing that again this year, too. Nice. As you were, as you were talking about some of the public policy, you, you mentioned um, in the licensure piece that you, you're going to look at the status of things here in California as well as taking it from a national perspective. And I have anecdotal data or in experiences, but I'm curious, are you guys noticing an increase in people from other states coming to Cal Aba um, as participants um, and whether it be you know, learning more about kind of ABA in California, learning more about policies in California? It, it, from my perspective, it's always seen, you know, we have where, as you said, it's the second largest ABA conference in the country, um, and you hear so much in other places of, you know, California is very advanced in terms of ABA or, or at the forefront in terms of ABA. Um, are we seeing anything in terms of conference attendance um, where people are coming in and, and taking advantage of some of these things? Yeah, I mean, absolutely we are. Um, just to give you an example, I mean, we're we're yeah. – we're, probably going to hit close to 1600 people this year we were at 1400 people last year so that would make us that would make it the biggest calaba conference since calaba started um, mm -hmm. we're so big where we actually next year in 2015 had to find a space that was a lot bigger to be able to accommodate all those people 
Wow. And I think some of the some of the, the some of that increase is due to you know people coming in from other states to learn about what Calaba is doing. I also think it's an increase in just people working in the field and, and okay. you know taking their BCBA and wanting to be involved with a professional organization. But um, and a lot of the regional organizations across the country, mm-hmm. I don't think that some of them have a public policy um, agenda as developed right. as Calaba. And I get a lot of calls from folks in, in Texas. We've we've been in contact with folks in New York, just to help them develop their infrastructure around some of these issues. So we do get a lot of people kind of contacting us and saying, you know, would you mind sharing, you know, your policies around this or your procedures, how you put this together or, you know, how you develop this relationship with your lobbyist and, and all these kinds mm-hmm. of things. So so I think Calaba in that respect is is a leader in the in the field. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's important that that we share that sort of information with you know some of our sister organizations to help them develop that sort of infrastructure. Yeah, I and mean, that makes that makes perfect sense. And it, it you go to these other places. I mean, obviously you you've been in other states and and seen other things mm-hmm. as well. Some of these struggles are really consistent. It's it's very interesting to sit in Louisiana and hear things. And I'm like, yep, living that in Los Angeles. Totally understand what you're talking about with with that scenario because I you know I just went through it six months ago I went through that three years ago and and I, I do reflect back to whether it be things from Calaba experiences with school systems regional centers whatever um, where it does feel like just maybe because of the size of our of you know the organization the size of um, you know, or I guess numbers of BCBAs, it, it feels like we would have a lot of experiences we could share with other states across the country. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing that makes us a little bit different in terms of our mm-hmm. practice is the regional center system. That, yeah. You know, as practitioners, we've been used to working within that system. And for us, in a way, that made it even more difficult to transition to insurance companies because of how differently right. they work. I think that sets us apart from Calif- from other states in that, it also results in a number of other professions, a number of other providers also doing, you know, what they consider behavior analysis or behavior therapy. And mm-hmm. that makes us, that makes the state of California a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot, I think there's a lot more stakeholders in the state of California, which is important because when it comes to any sort of legislation in our field, we need to be, you know, reaching out to all these different stakeholders. So I think there's similarities, like you pointed out. But the yeah. way in which we've been practicing behavior analysis in the state of California has been kind of different up until now. Yeah, that's a really good point. You're right. It was. It did probably make for a much harder transition for us. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you're used to working with the regional sense, yeah. then uh, that change is is sometimes a little bit of a rude awakening. Well, it's it's very interesting how they then became kind of this middleman in everything, where whether it be the copay issue, whether it be the who covers the under three um, clients, um, and and probably a host of other issues. I feel like they got into it. You know, they didn't step out of the family or the child's life. They just stepped out of ABA services, and it, they became kind of an odd partner in all of this themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps a, a, an unwilling partner initially, but I think over time they've come. Yeah. Again, I, I have to say, I mean, they've come a long way and have really put 
the infrastructure that they need to put in place to better understand mm-hmm. us. And unfortunately, I think that gets overlooked sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that as much as we needed to learn about them, they, you know, they're learning about us as well at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we need to also talk about the positives of all this and, and how children now are getting services funded by their health plan and some of the burden has been taken off the state of California. You know, so, so there are a lot of positives coming out of this. And in fact, in March, I think in, in mid-March, um, they're holding a series of hearings about the autism insurance mandate in California and the purpose of those hearings is for the legislators to hear both the good things and the not so good things uh, regarding the, the insurance mandate since it's rolled out. Wow. That will be a very interesting set of hearings. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I want to make sure I spend a little time. There, there's, uh, there's something that uh, you, you kind of mentioned as we were prepping for the show that, that I didn't know too much about. Um, but you guys are working on, uh, on a science retreat, and, and I actually didn't even know anything about this. I was, I was hoping you could maybe talk to us a little bit about it. So part of Calab's mission is to support you know, research and education in, the, in, the, in behavior analysis. And one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to reach out to academics and professors across the state and find out from them what Calab, as their professional organization, could do to, to really support and assist academia. So we invited professors from universities across the state. So we had folks from Fresno, from Stanislaus State, from Northridge, from Cal State LA, from UC San San Diego, from all across uh, the state, come together in a room, and we basically spent a a day together discussing, first, what Calab has been doing, giving some updates to folks. But really, it was an opportunity for all of these folks who are intimately involved in academia to give us ideas about what the professional organization should be doing. Um, you know, and I'll give you an example of some of the things that came out of that was having a, a science track at the conference. You know, we have a public policy track. Why don't we have a science track? Um, developing, for example, um, scholarships or different types of funding opportunities for research or for students mm-hmm. um, to be able to support going through grad school. Um, I mean, there were a number of really good ideas that came out of this. So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to take all these ideas back to the board and we're going to discuss and and essentially vote on the ones that that, uh, we want to move forward with. But there are some that you're going to see in the next year. And uh, we just wanted to be a lot more explicit about the support for academia. And and we've got got some really positive um, feedback on it. Just having all those people in a room talking to each other about their programs, discussing, you know, the challenges that they have within their departments with, in terms of funding, in terms of um, students, and, I mean, everything that it takes to, real, to be a faculty member. Um, it was really a positive um, experience. I think everybody enjoyed it, and we're planning on making it an annual event as a way to just stay connected with the academics in our field because, I mean, we need them. They're, they're training mm-hmm. all the folks that... Uh, you know, that are doing what we do. So we want to make sure that we're supporting their efforts as best we can. Yeah, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned the, the, that because that's, you know, I, I love some of the ideas. I mean, first, I, I actually love the idea of the science retreat. I think that would be really, really great to see um, because I like the tracks. I like having these different options. I mean, I, I tend to focus on the public policy myself just because that's where I feel like my, my career has been moving more and more every year. Um, but having another option would be incredible. Um, 
But I go back to the issue when we talked about regulations and licensure and that licensure and access are two different things. Are, are you guys at all envisioning, you know, by supporting these institutions, uh, is there a sense that you actually are supporting access ultimately? Yeah, I mean, the programs that are that are putting out these students that are, you know, training these master's folks who are eventually sitting for the BCBA are definitely part of, um, you know, adding to the pool of providers, essentially. So yeah. we need to make sure that they're strong. We need to make sure that they're around um, so that uh, we, don't limit, we don't limit that access. I, I think, you know, the, the idea of different scholarships, I mean, obviously goes a long way with that because I'm, I'm remembering my first job as a line therapist, and, and it, I did not get paid very well. Uh, I'm sure the place I worked pays a little bit better than they did back then, but it was you know you it was tight making ends meet and adding in college tuition to you know get that master's degree even at a um, a, a reasonably priced school was was definitely not easy. Yeah, well, consider yourself lucky. At least you got paid while you were a student. I remember when I was at UCLA doing my undergrad as part of a class. I was doing like ten or twelve hours a week with a uh, with a young boy. And we didn't yeah. get paid at all because it was part of our practicum. So yeah, I remember those days. Oh that, no, that was having a job while I went to school. Well, I, uh, I I had the benefit of uh, you know as you, as you know the program and going to uh, Cal State Los Angeles. Um, I benefited from uh, some of those professors who I know were part of uh, of the Calaba group uh, teaching classes at night, so I could at least spend okay. the day working. Um, and making a little bit of money and then paying the tuition for my classes at night. It, it ended up being a very, you know, you start your day at 8, you end your day at 8.30, and yeah. you've got homework and reading and, and work on the side that you've got to do, whether it be for uh, your clients. I mean, it, it's, it's an intense couple of years, so little scholarships, things like that, do go a long way. I, I know I just, uh, just before we got on the air, I wished good luck to uh, to one of our line therapist who's going out tomorrow to uh, to interview for a, a local program here. So she's about to try and do the exact same thing, go to school at night, work during the day, and, and try and keep that same schedule. So it's uh, she was kind of feeling those same pressures that, that I felt back then, too. Yeah, so anything we can do to support academia and support those programs, that's really what the, the theme of that, of that science retreat was. And Again, I think we got some really good ideas, and I think uh, you're going to see Calaba do a lot more um, of those sorts of activities to support both the practitioners. I mean, don't forget, you know, almost mm -hmm. 80 to 90 percent of our members is made up of practitioners, and as a as a professional organization, we have to respond to those members. But at the same time, um, we have the science that that uh, we are here to support as well, and that and we strongly believe that the best way to do that is to make sure that the programs in the state of California are strong, have the support that they need, are getting the students that they need, and are getting the funding that they need in order to, mm -hmm. to be around for, for a while. You know, it, it, you, you kind of answered the question I was actually going to ask you next. It's that idea of, i got to assume this is actually a bit of a struggle sometimes, that going to, having been to Calhaba so many years in a row, the vast majority of people in the room are folks like me, who um, and, and now folks like you, you know, we, we're 
we're running these agencies, running, owning, working at, in the field, hands-on every single day. It's the, a very practice-focused group. Um, balancing out the science and the, the academic piece, not necessarily the like training of future people piece, but that academic institution piece has to be a challenge for you guys. So it's, it's really interesting to hear how you're trying to balance these two needs out um, with retreats like this. Yeah, and, and um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's definitely been a challenge at times because there is such a demand and such an interest in public policy and protecting our right to practice and, you know, helping providers really manage the issues that, that they have related to practice. But we can't lose sight. We can't lose sight of our of our basic science, and we can't lose sight of the the, the institutions that are responsible for training the, the future behavior analysts. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it has been tough, um, but we we're doing all we can to to try to support both sides as mm-hmm. best we can. Mm-hmm. No, I mean I think I, I think you guys have done a great job. I mean I I feel like. One of the reasons why I really wanted to talk about what Calaba is doing is I think sometimes people lose sight of just like these types of conversations, the work you guys are doing, it, it really impacts, I think, a much bigger part of the community than people realize. It's not just a BCBA like me who is learning about this public policy and has you doing, you know, has you advocating for certain things or lobbying for certain things or training people who, who are essentially are working for me or about to work for me in the future, you really are steering so much of this ABA community, and we're becoming such an important part of the autism community that I don't always think people realize, like, you guys really have been at the forefront for at least, in my perspective, the last five years. I mean, you, you personally are the first person I heard talk about licensure in California. I remember the meeting. We were in Northridge at, at CSUN, and you came to present to a group of us. And this is, you know, probably, what, a year, two years even? I think it's two years before the mandate even passed, forget when, to effect. And you were already talking about licensure in relation to this is a mandate that's coming. This is happening. We need to get into regulations today. We can't just wait and for the future to happen. We've got to kind of be ahead of it and plan the future. And I think Calaba has done a great job of doing that for people. And I think those messages, like I really want them to get out to more than just the ABA community because it, it really does impact so many people. And even if people are just aware of it, I feel like that's really important for the people we serve, we work with, um, or who just kind of we work side by side with. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, the, the, I think the state of California has been lucky to have the folks that we have on, on the board, the, the people who are involved in these sorts of things and mm-hmm. the people who have the foresight to be talking about licensure. And, and thank you for that credit. I can't take credit for that. I have to give credit to Jane Howard, who was our public policy chair for many years. Um, but, the, but the sort of foresight that she and other members of the board really had when it came to what's going to happen to our practice when an insurance mandate comes, what do we have mm-hmm. to be prepared for, I think uh, is really a reflection of the kinds of people that we have in our field and the kinds yeah. of people who are willing to volunteer their time and, and really move our field forward. So um, we encourage 
people who have an interest in these sorts of things to run for run for the board um, because it's those sorts of people who are really making a difference and putting Calava mm-hmm. at the forefront of some of these things. I think we're finally at a place where, and we're, again, we're not there yet, but we're getting to a place where when people talk about behavior analysis in the state of California, they now think of Calava. Um, so that's, that means a lot, and I think that's, yeah. that, that we've come a long way in that, in that area. Well, we're kind of coming to the end of everything here. So, um, you know, I don't think we've actually said time, place, days of this conference that's coming up. So uh, the Calaba Conference is, is when and where? So the Calaba Conference begins, the pre-conference begins on Thursday, February 27th, and it's at the Hyatt in Burlingame, which is in San Francisco. The, so the airport you'd fly into is, is SFO. Starts on Thursday the 27th with a workshop in the morning and then another workshop in the afternoon. And uh, for folks who do come out on the 27th for those pre-conference workshops, uh, at 8 o'clock that evening on the 27th, the Calava board has an open meeting for anybody who wants to come and hear essentially what the board has been up to, have any questions for board members. And then the conference officially kicks off on Friday morning at 8.30 a.m. on the 28th, and that's when uh, the keynote speakers and all the different symposiums start, and then it goes through Saturday, um, and then on Sunday we have the parent conference and then a variety of additional workshops, and then the, the conference will end on Sunday evening. Fabulous. Um, well, anyone out there who hasn't signed up, I'm assuming there's still time to sign up for any and all of these different components? Yes. There's some, a lot of workshops still available. There's a couple that are, that are sold out already, which we're going to try to um, present again later this summer. Um, nice. But there's plenty of other workshops, and in terms of just registering for the conference, it's not too late to do that. So yeah, definitely, if you haven't done it yet, come to the conference. It's going to be a, another great uh, conference. And uh, let great. me give a shout-out to our conference committee for that as well. Wonderful. Yeah, it's the the conferences. I agree with you. Like, I, I'm exciting to hear that the space is getting bigger because the conferences, you know, the, the different events you're putting on are, are definitely getting better and better. And it's it's as I said, I really like the tracks, and so adding some different tracks in there. You also have a, I believe uh, there's been an um, OBM um, organizational behavior management track that I know I've enjoyed as well. So it's nice to have those components in there too. Great. Um, well, uh, one final thing for anyone listening. I know Calaba's got a website. Um, am I correct? Is it just calaba.org? That's or right. did I mess that up? Okay, no, I'm, glad I'm, I'm, I'm glad I had it off the top of my head. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. it. I think it's just so important for people to know what you guys are up to um, and just how active the organization is in our community. Thanks again for the opportunity. It was nice speaking with you, Rob. Absolutely. You too. Take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we've got a couple final minutes here. Um, Really, um, really glad we got to have that conversation. It's one of those underrated things where I feel like there's these groups out there, and sometimes, you know, especially these ABA groups, I'm a, I'm a part of a number of them. Sometimes we get really technical. We really get into our science. We really get into our jargon. But these different public policy initiatives especially, I think it's just really important for the community to be aware of them out there. Um, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm an ABA guy myself. But I just really think 
especially after seeing the things that happened right here locally in Louisiana and how the community really worked together, and I mean much, much more than just the ABA community, the true parents, professionals, legislature, uh, everybody got involved in, in implementing their regulatory uh, uh, laws to create a license. Um, it, it was just really interesting to see, and it, it really presented to me this idea of opportunity of you know, we talk about this show about getting involved and having your voice heard we had folks like caroline wilson recently talk about how her small group has a really loud voice and it's really exciting to see how that small group and this other big group and this mid-sized group can come together and really impact and influence uh, a legislative agenda and Sometimes the agenda really helps uh, us professionals. Sometimes they help the clients. Sometimes they help the families. Sometimes it helps a little bit of everybody. But um, I really think some of these uh, public policy issues um, fall into that little bit of everybody. Um, maybe us as professionals a little bit more, but it, it really does drive um, the, in the field and it really does make a difference in terms of the types of quality services that can be um, out there. Maybe it's not getting it to more people but it, I do think it leads to people getting better services. Um, all right. Well, we are out of the time. I am really excited. Next week, um, I'm going to be joined by uh, Mary Jacobs. Uh, Mary is the president of Families Helping Families, Jefferson Parish, um, an incredible group. There's chapters of Families Helping Families all across the state of Louisiana, um, and this organization is incredible. It's, it's a group I've gotten to know and work with over the last two years, and um, I spent uh, a lot of time working particularly with the, uh, the Jefferson Parish um, branch and just they do a lot of great work in the community and really excited to have them on on the show talking about some of the things that they have going on and, and coming up um, in the near future. So definitely tune in next time um, to uh, to hear what Mary's got going on and what families helping families are up to. As always, questions, comments, thoughts, whatever you got, send them our way. More info at autismtherapies.com. You can also post um, questions and comments to our Facebook page. Uh, Christina, who is quietly listening and, and operating all the controls of this, she is on that thing every single day, and she and I are answering all the different questions and, and topics that come up there. And as I've said before, a lot of these things do pop up onto the show, and, and I try my best to talk about them right here um, as, we, as we start these shows off. Um, I hope you guys have a fabulous week. The uh, the band has stopped here, so I don't get to hear the music anymore. I think they've called it a night. But uh, um, I hope you guys have a, a fabulous, fabulous day, fabulous weekend. And uh, I'll talk to you next time. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of Autism Spectrum Radio. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.autismtherapies.com. Please join us each week for a new episode or visit our archives to listen to and download previous shows. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.